Tonight, we explore and celebrate once again the history of Petaluma, California. This will be the second episode of our program to focus on this subject. The goal tonight is to zero in on the famous Rivertown era, 1850 to 1900 thereabouts, and the period that laid the foundation for essentially everything that would happen over the next hundred years in the town. My goodness, what treat. We also are sitting, I think, with our first panel on the show. We've never really had a panel before. A most august panel. <laughs> <laughs> and this is a group of, uh, I would say, Petaluma history enthusiasts. Uh, I will introduce first our returning champions, John Sheehy and Katie Watts. Welcome, Katie and John. Thank you welcome so back. much. You can find their work on our first episode on Petaluma history. And we are also very fortunate to welcome Skip Summers. Skip welcome, Summer. Skip. Thank you. And Chuck Lucas. Welcome, Chuck. A couple of mover and shakers in, in Petaluma and Petaluma history, too. Today and yesterday. We talked a little about the town's founding on the last episode, but we just sort of glazed over it, right? We talked about, Tom, your favorite story, Garrett Keller. Garrett Keller, you bet. The squatter who stole the town. The squatter who stole Petaluma. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite guy. And we spent a second on what the town was like back in the Rivertown era. So let's go back to that for a second. What was the town like in the Rivertown era? Brothels and saloons. <laughs> yeah. And there was actually, there was an opium den, as I re- recall reading uh, about there it. There was. Well. Do you think it was frequented by the average Petaluman, or was it, uh, <laughs> I, uh, was it well, a very small, small clientele besides? I don't, you know, the only um, contact I had with this story is uh, when Prohibition hit, and it also hit the opium den. I mean, when yeah. we think about the average Petaluman in, let's say, the founding decades of the town, 1850s, 1860s, 1870s, Yeah. There were a lot of colorful characters who blew through this town. And, Very much you know, so. one thing that's always interested me, that the town took a long time to incorporate and actually set up a city council and an infrastructure of city management of any sort because it was pretty much a libertarian audience that came to this town. Mm-hmm. And they were really resistant to any type of centralized control. Oh, yeah. They came from the East Coast, and they wanted to get away from all that. And most of them, uh, out of the, the big six names, uh, five of them came through the gold fields. Uh, and brought their gold to Petaluma. So Petaluma is really an outshoot of the gold rush. So Skip, if you were to name the six big names, who would they be? Um, John McNear, Ezekiel Denman, Harrison Meacham, Hiram Fairbanks, and uh, William Hill. and Wickersham. Wickersham, thank you. Isaac Wickersham. Yeah, there you go. There's the six. These were rich guys. These were businessmen. They were cutting deals, and they were sort of like established the buildings, the foundations, and everything that laid out this town. Right, but a lot of them came here as entrepreneurs. I mean, they really, a lot of them were young men when they arrived in town in their early 20s. All of them were. And, uh, you know, they might have got a start from the gold field. Some of them did not strike it rich, but came to yeah. town and found other ways to strike mm-hmm. it rich. And did any of them strike it rich in the gold oh, fields? Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Um, the only person of those uh, six that uh, didn't come through the gold fields was uh, John McNear. John McNear, yeah. And he was a fourth-generation ship captain, and his father-in-law uh, ran a hotel in Petaluma and sent him back a letter and said, this is a great place to establish a, a shipping line on on the Petaluma Creek and on and on about business will be great here and oh by the way bring my daughter, bring my daughter. <laughs> and, and that's how he got here so he didn't come through the gold fields the other guys all all came through okay, the gold you know and, and so did Garrett Keller who was actually he kind of right. came and did his thing and then disappeared well there's a, I can tell. there's a lot of guys that Keller come through but the thing about McNair that's always impressed me he was a teetotaler yes. he was a Scotchman yeah. wasn't he and yes. he was a very upright person whereas a lot of other people came through the gold rush. They were um, 
They were very colorful in a lot of ways. And and then you had a lot of uh, flim-flam people like Keller who blew through town. Yeah. And, and the early decade of the city was all founded on kind of very shadowy deals around land title. And that's why I think in this conversation we have today, those big six, those family names who you see all over Petaluma. All over. Mm-hmm. You know, you see street names, you see buildings and all that. I, I think we're going to keep coming back and interweaving through those names. So I think that's important. Let's start with John McNear active in everything. He was active in banking. He was active in railroads and in shipping, as you said. And uh, one of the great industrialists of um, California. In of California, not even of Petaluma. Of yeah, California. of California. How long did John McNear, do we, do we know how long he lasted in Petaluma? How? He's certainly buried here, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah he, well, he, he had, Actually, he, well, uh, he, oh, bought, he, <laughs> he built he, a cemetery. Right, so, <laughs> so John McNear's wife was killed in San Francisco at 29, but he refused to have his wife buried at the cemetery at where everybody else was having their families buried. Because it flooded. Okay. And he, went, he hired a dowser, and they went looking for high ground where there was no water, and they found it at what we know now as Cypress Hill. Cypress Hill. Which is off on which, Magnolia? Which is off Magnolia. And if you go to the very top of the old section of the cemetery, the, the McNears are buried at the very top. There you go. There's a successful guy who doesn't like the status of the one cemetery. So what does he do? He goes out and buys a bunch of land and starts a new cemetery. Yeah. I feel like there was a lot of that going on in this time sure. period. Sure. It was a wide open situation here. If you had money and all these guys who got the money got into transportation early on. Yeah. And then as Skip, as Skip says, they became bankers. And you got to understand in those days, a bank wasn't what we see a bank as today. A bank was somebody who had money willing to lend. And there was no guarantee to any of the money they lended. They had to collect on that. Mm-hmm. And I think that it was, is it McNear's story that he liked to do handshake deals? Yeah. Because he trusted people who gave him a handshake deal. When he had to sign a contract, he found those people uh, were most liable to renege on the debt, yeah. essentially. Huh. Yeah. One of the great stories about John McNear is um, he had the dream that Petaluma would be the industrial center of Northern California. Uh, fortunately, it became Oakland and not Petaluma, but yeah. 1891. McNear had heard that the Carlson Courier silk mill had burned down to the ground in San Francisco. He got in his buggy, went to Sausalito, got on a boat, went over and saw Carlson Courier, and talk about a salesman. He said, gentlemen, I can sell you a piece of land for your new mill at half the price that you would pay for it here in San Francisco. I can guarantee you a bank loan. I can guarantee you that uh, shipping can come right up to your front door on the Petaluma Creek. I can guarantee you a workforce. Well, how could he do that? Because he owned the, he was president of the bank, he was vice president of the railroad, railroad spur right to the front. He had just built the McNear Canal to Lakeville Highway, Lakeville Street at that time. And he knew that a silk mill hired only women because their hands had to be small. He owned the mortgages for all those little ranches, lots of little ranches around town. They weren't paying. And he knew that some of them had daughters the daughters would come to work in the silk mill, give their parents the money, they'd pay McNear for the mortgage. For people who maybe aren't aware, we're talking about the Line and Twine silk mill, which is on uh, Lakeville. Yes. It's still there to this day. Yep. Uh, it's a brick building. It's not being used for anything. These big six people that we we're talking about not only did business together, but they also intermarried. Ezekiel Denman's daughter, Ida Bell Denman, married G.P. McNear, joined the two great families. And they had a son, and they named him Denman McNear. Denman McNear became president of the largest railroad in the world, Southern Pacific. When did the Denmans get to Petaluma? Uh, 1853. They were right there at the beginning. Yeah. 
would they have bought property from Garrett Keller? Or were they? No, no. You okay. have you have to go back a little oh. bit to the land grants. Yeah. yeah. So it, just to briefly, I mean, this was the shadow stuff that went on. So you get back to uh, when California becomes a state. Uh, but well, it we're, was we're talking before that. Though. No, before right. that. Well, that's, early but the 1850s, point was yeah. that when California became a state, I think uh, the federal government, the United States, promised that we would honor the Mexican and the Spanish land grants. Is yeah. that correct? Right. So those land grants were actual contracts that we were to honor. Yes. Correct. Correct. And they were established essentially after the Mexican War, and there were three major land grants here. One was owned by General Vallejo. He, he owned everything east of the river, okay? Yeah. The west of the river, there were two tracks that he essentially gave to his right-hand guys, his major domos, as they were known. And you got to understand, the Mexicans at that time and the Americans were worried about the Russians up at Fort Ross. So he assigns to his two guys. uh, One guy gets what is now Petaluma today, and that was a guy named Ortega. And another guy, Padilla, gets everything north on the west side. What happens to Padilla during the Mexican War in 1848, he's arrested for killing two Americans. It's kind of a suspicious charge. Yeah. He loses his control of the title, okay? And then Denman comes and buys Denman Flats and all the other people buy north of town on the west side. And when you say all yeah. the other people, you mean like the big six type people? Yeah. Well, some yeah. of the big well, six, yeah. 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 They're sure. able to move right in yeah, because yeah. the title's up for grabs now. So those were pretty clear titles once they bought in. Yeah. The title that was in dispute was the title that Ortega owned which incorporated the town of Petaluma. It was the smallest. It was 150 acres or so. Yeah. Now, Ortega was a, a complete lech and a fool. That's what he was known. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he was a problem. They finally drove him out of the county in the 1840s. When you say they, who's they? Uh, I think everybody. <laughs> 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 you know, the people who were left here from the mission, because the mission lands were secularized in 1833. Most and, people worried about their daughters and wives. Yes, and like. I mean, yeah. uh, Native Americans, and there weren't very Mexicans, many daughters and wives. American settlers, everybody drove this guy out of town. But wow. before he left, he signed his deed over to his father-in-law, man named Juan Miranda. So what happens then is that the town is established. People come here after the gold rush 1850, and this is when Keller walks into town. He doesn't have clear ownership of any title. He hires Tom Bayless and a couple other guys to survey the plots, and he lays out the town, right? But there's no clear title to that. So then he sells the deeds. What happens then Another guy emerges on the scene who is a major villain. His name is Thomas Valentine. He's a 23-year-old, comes out for the gold rush from New York City, comes to Petaluma, and decides that he's going to get this Miranda's land grant. 1850, Miranda dies down in San Rafael, and his family puts it into probate, and Valentine goes down to San Francisco, buys the land grant of Petaluma from the family in probate. Absolutely. But it's always disputed by the original owner, Ortega's family, okay? So for the next, like, 13, 14 years, this is a court case that's federal court. So Valentine was, was the, the guy that brought that took it all to federal court then? Yes, and Valentine's a major, major villain because all the people who've bought into Petaluma now, who've bought these plots from Keller and others... Have their houses on his property. Yes, and they're living yeah. in fear that Valentine's going to win the court case... And take away everything they've built, including all the merchants in town. So he's a a complete villain. And this case goes on until like 1864, 1865. And finally, the the original grant that the Mexican family owned, the Ortegas, it goes up to the U.S. Supreme Court. And it's thrown out, okay? And then the town incorporates in 58. 1867, finally, the U.S. government decides to declare public domain of all of Petaluma, all of that grant. 
and they take control of the town. And after that, all the deeds are recognized. But Valentine still fights on and won't give up. And the government ends up giving him an equivalent of the value of the land that he's had to give up for Petaluma, which is like 13,000 acres. And he can claim 13,000 acres anywhere in the country. He gives him what's called land script. He goes down, he claims Belvedere Island. (laughs) Then he claims, he lives in Tiburon, he claims the Corinthian Point, which is now Corinthian Point. It's called Valentine Point at the time. Then he gets on a train to Chicago, and he goes to Chicago, and he claims Dearborn Park in Chicago. The guy has a rolling nightmare everywhere he goes. But that is unprecedented, right? I've never heard of anything like that before. amazing. He's amazing. I I think some of the villains in Petaluma at this era are fast. I mean, we we focus on the winners and the successful guys with their names on the buildings, but, you know, Charles Minter and the Ferryboat King, this guy, Valentine, I mean— they were master con artists here, and it just shows you how wild the whole scene was. I think one of the reasons that uh, that he was defeated was because of Jasper O'Farrell, oh. who was the surveyor that Keller hired. He was the surveyor who laid out San Francisco. Okay, that's nuts. So Jasper O'Farrell, of course, O'Farrell Petaluma residents will know yeah. Jasper O'Farrell is a pretty yeah. famous name. And O'Farrell Street in San Francisco. I think we all know the club on O'Farrell. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, and uh, O'Farrell um, lived in the town of Bodega. He was a great surveyor, and nobody questioned him. Uh, they, all the engineers would come out, and nobody questioned O'Farrell. said, no, no, those are all straight lines. Yeah. What, well, they were the straight problem? lines, but they were, <laughs> everyone was a squatter. Everyone was a squatter That's in this town for like line. 17 years. We have with a great squad, you bet. <laughs> but you know the other guy to talk about, Tom Hopper, one of the early pioneers that comes to town in 1850 or so, and he buys the east side track from General Vallejo. So there's two sides of town. One side of town, the west side is uh, squatters, essentially, but the east side has always got clear title. He buys the east side from Vallejo, and then in 1857, which is, this is kind of suspicious, right before the city's incorporated, he goes in with three other guys, and he sells partnerships to them, and they build a bridge at Washington Street, because there's no access to the east side at this time, aside mm-hmm. from going over the river. There's a little bridge way up by where Hunt and Barron's is now. It's pretty mm-hmm. rickety, I think. Correct. But so they build this bridge, and then they develop all these plots on the east side of town, what we know as Old East Petaluma. That would be Vallejo Street yeah. and, yeah. and yeah. 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 Vallejo and Edith. And, yeah. yeah. Right. And so that's a total subtract development is what they do in 1857, and they do it on the eve of the city becoming uh, incorporated. And suddenly when the city is incorporated in 1858, they incorporate the east side, too. So guess what? He sells these lots for $500 a lot. I mean, he makes a billion dollars. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of them were bought by John McNear. But when he died, uh, when John McNear died, he was the largest landowner in the county of Sonoma. If John McNear is number one on the big six of the historic Petaluma residents, who would we say is number two? Well, I would say um, it would certainly be a, a tie with, um, with Denman uh, the Denman, Ezekiel Denman, and... Uh, Wickersham, right? Wickersham. Yeah, Wickersham was a banker. He came, he had a law degree, and he, he opened a law office here on Main Street, and that only lasted a few months because he didn't like it, and so he decided he'd start lending money, and he did, and be, he formed the first bank in Sonoma County, the Wickersham Bank. And he came from the Goldfields. Yes. Did he strike it, Richard? Yes. Goldfields? He was a mover and a shaker. Uh, the entire town, Wickersham, and um, he became president of the Board of Trustees, i.e. mayor today. And a really scary thing happened. Isaac Wickersham's nephew, Jesse, came out here, and he was, he was in his late 40s. And he married Isaac Wickersham's sister-in-law. 
Sarah, also in her late 40s. <laughs> well, very hard to find women back then. You know, <laughs> the, the population was about 95% male here. In Petaluma? Yeah, in the 50s. Oh, yeah. But the story is uh, quite tragic. Isaac built a beautiful home for them here in Petaluma. It's still existent on the corner of E and 5th Street, right across the street from Walnut Park. Yeah. Beautiful Victorian mansion. And they lived there for two years. And then Jesse and Sarah wanted to have a ranch and they wanted to raise sheep. So they bought a 2,000 acre piece up near Cloverdale. And they and their Chinese houseboy went up there to the ranch and lived on the ranch. Very soon after that, they were found viciously murdered, the two of them. And um, probably, uh, probably Sarah had been raped. They don't talk about that in the old papers. You know, she was violated, wow. they said. Uh, and uh, when they discovered their bodies in the ranch house, the Chinese houseboy was gone, disappeared. And so there was a lot of anti-Chinese feeling in those days. Um, everybody wanted the Chinese to move back to China because they had come over, a lot of had come over for the gold rush. And then a great deal, thousands and thousands came over to build the railroads. Oh, the railroads yeah. And then when the railroads were built, they started their own businesses, um, cleaners and laundries and and they took um, jobs as uh, housekeepers and so forth and so the story was the thought was that they were taking jobs away from the existent white population here well they blamed the chinese cook yeah and he had fled and he left his personal belongings uh, including money and did they uh, ever find him yeah he oh. got all the way to yokohama japan on his way to china and uh, they, uh, they jailed him there. And um, even the president of the United States got involved in this story. Grover Cleveland sent a wire to Japan saying they wanted Ang Tai Duck to come back to be tried in California. Well, Ang Tai Duck heard that, and he committed suicide in the cell. Never confessed. No clues on him. So the whole thing is up in the air as far as I'm concerned. I think well, it was a bum rap. And, yeah. and, uh, yep. But as far as the sheriff was concerned... Case closed. Uh, case, case closed. closed. Yep. Case closed. Yeah, but they had Indians living on the ranch, uh, Native Americans. They also had um, vagrants coming through asking for money. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, uh, my my summation was uh, maybe Ang Tai Duck was in the outhouse and he heard the shots. Yeah. And looked through the window and saw that his his people were killed and got, and said they're going to blame me. I'm getting the hell yeah. out of here. Yeah, absolutely. Just to go back, I want to put a good word in about the McNears and these big six grew up with the town. And the town went through a lot of changes from just being a sort of a... Boy, a little mud track. A little mud track to a, a shipping small city, a port, and then building its own businesses and building the middle class up here. And so they supported a lot of that. And with GP in particular, you know, he made a lot of philanthropic donations to the city. He donated uh, McNear Park, McNear School. He donated the country club. He also donated the uh, current firehouse on 2nd and D Street. Mm -hmm. And the land for the post office. Land for the post which office. Which is now 24-hour fitness, that building. So these oh, are all yeah. infrastructure issues that they saw the need for as the city expanded, essentially. And it went through various phases of economic development. Yeah, I think, I think we need to understand that it was a, a gentler time, a friendlier time, a more trusting time. And it was a time where philanthropy was was regarded as something that one who had a certain amount of money did. That's just, you, you gave back. 
Yeah. And, you know, but also it's good business. They, they, yeah, it's good business. They I think at the end of the day, it yeah. brings in more settlers to the town. And yeah, that's what absolutely. they're trying to do at one yeah. point. Mm-hmm. I mean, they all owned real estate. They were going to flip properties yeah. for anybody who came here. Yeah. So they, they stood to benefit. The Hill family donated Hill Plaza Park as right. well, um, which uh, yeah. the Hill family that um, built, yeah, this, built this theater. Built this theater. Which was also a gift to the city. Yeah, that's right. You know, it was. Like, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, uh, I've got a, an interesting story about uh, William Hill, uh, also uh, through the gold rush. And he came to town and he established the uh, Bank of Sonoma County. Right across the street, Hiram Fairbanks established the Petaluma Savings Bank. Was this, was this at the corner of Washington Street and Petaluma Boulevard? Yeah. Was that that original building? Yeah, that just, still down, just down where, uh, where Wickersham's building is. Anyway, the, the fascinating thing is Fairbanks was president of the Petaluma Savings Bank, and Hill was president of the Bank of Sonoma County. Twenty years later, after the founding of those two banks, William Hill's son, Alex, married Hiram Fairbanks' daughter, Hattie, and joined those two families, yeah. the Fairbanks and the Hills. Uh, you know, it was, they were all intertwined, these people. Now, Hiram Fairbanks struck it really big in the gold rush. And he brought that gold to Petaluma, and he built the Golden Eagle uh, feed Golden mill. Golden Eagle flour yeah. mill. Also built the biggest house in town, which I believe is still the biggest house in town, on the corner of 8th and D. Yeah. Three stories, Fairbanks Mansion, uh, eight bedrooms, uh, nine baths. <laughs> Gorgeous. Yeah. So when the two kids got married, they were married in the Fairbanks Mansion, and it was the biggest wedding in the history of Petaluma at that time. So Hiram made his bundle in the... California Gold Rush in 49 and 50. In 1897, his two sons were sent to the Gold Rush in uh, Alaska. Alaska. And they made it. And the town of Fairbanks, Alaska is Mm. named after the Fairbanks family from Petaluma, California. Nice. So uh, basically like the big six, it's it's not so much like, there's not a lot of like scandal and character so much as like they just were very, very wealthy. But, but, you know, I think the other thing is that I want to stress the the independent spirit of all these fellows. Yes. You know, and they wanted to command their own destinies. And another sidelight of William Hill that I find interesting, he was one of the leaders of the first succession movement for Petaluma in 1861. So this is when Hill and a number of other business people got together and decided to hell with Santa Rosa. (laughs) We're going to succeed, and we're going to join forces with Northern Marin, which is more akin to us in terms of our interests, our business interests, our agricultural interests. We're going to form our own county here. And they failed. But, you know, people who had the money had the gumption to go ahead and do that. And I think it also, once again, speaks to the entrepreneurial spirit that remains in the city through the first uh, half century of the the 19th century and going into the 20th century when we have the chicken industry come about, you know? I mean, these guys are always ready for the next thing that's coming and they're ready to invest it. They're willing to take risk and they're looking forward all the time at this. Well, think of the risks they took as gold miners. Oh yeah. Yeah, Just to come out here. Yeah. Let's do a little bit of context. Let's say there's somebody who has no idea what that means. We say people are coming out here looking for gold. They were going to the Sierras. And uh, and McCullumney Hill in that area. Uh, Harrison Meacham is one of the big six we haven't talked about tonight. And he struck it big in gold. Yeah, so, I mean, we've all heard of the, I mean, we hope, at least most people have heard of the gold rush. So people went there, and these people that we're talking about, a lot of these big six, they did strike it rich with gold? Yes. And then they had all this money, and they needed to find... So Harrison Meacham strikes it big? Yes. Meacham struck it big. Meacham was a teenager, and uh, he came out to the gold rush, and he was 18 years old. And uh, somebody financed him. Somebody gave him a 1000 bucks to buy gold mining stuff. 
and uh, equipment. Uh, he struck it big, and then he and several other miners bought a, a ranch in the Sierras that had 3,000 head of longhorn cattle. And so Meacham took his portion of those 3,000, which were 500 head of cattle, drove them down the mountain through the village of Petaluma. <laughs> Can you imagine? 500 cattle through the village. and Longhorns. Then, yeah, and he had bought uh, a portion of the Bohorques land grant, uh, which stretched from Pengrove to Two Rock, 2,000 uh-huh. acres at that time. That would be the area we still call Meacham Hill, probably. Yes. And, he, and he's what? He's in his late teens at this point, early uh, 20s? No, early 20s, yeah. yeah. He had uh, he's a very early 20s, 23, 24, somewhere in there. So he had bought that uh, piece of uh, the Bohorques uh, land grant. And uh, eventually, by the way, Meacham uh, ended up with 7,000 acres of Sonoma County. But he had gotten into fights in the gold country. And um, he had come against Indians and wild animals and uh, claim jumpers. So Harrison Meacham never went anywhere without a sidearm. And in many cases, he had outriders watching his back. He's also known for having shot a trespasser out on Meacham Road out there on his property who came across and just shot him dead. Really? Uh, The big six right now, so far, because when I grew up in Petaluma, there were a lot of Italian names, especially in the ranches. But when we start with the big six in the 1800s, isn't an Italian among them yet, I don't think, is there? I don't think so. No, because that... That immigration doesn't start till the 1880s, I believe, or so. Chuck might know. We had a lot more Germans in the mid-century, the 19th century. The German immigrants were very heavily, and a lot of them came from the Frisian Islands here. But, Tom, uh, you're right. Uh, Italian Swiss are heavily invested yeah. Yeah. here. Right. Yeah, yeah, Italians, absolutely. Italian Swiss. Yeah. The but they must be, most of them were dairy farmers. So it's always yes. interesting. I think when the dairy comes on heavily, that's when we start seeing immigration because they come from that canton in Switzerland, the Italian canton, yeah. and they're, ah. they're up in the mountains and they're dairy farmers. And likewise, the Portuguese, a lot of them have come yeah. from the Azores, and yeah. they're also coastal dairy farmers. And then my people, the Irish, uh, they started in dairy farming, but quickly went into civil service. (laughs) (laughs) And funeral parlors. (laughs) And police stations. (laughs) Both both working the police station and being inside the police station. (laughs) The potato potato industry was started by John Keyzot in Bodega Bay, an Irishman. Oh, really? Yeah. So when we talk wealth with these people, I mean, we're not talking, you know, people who made a couple hundred grand a year or whatever. I mean, we're talking like in today's scales, like Mm -hmm. they made millions and millions in today's scales. Yeah, they're like tech entrepreneurs who've hit it big. And, and, you know, that's an interesting thing that maybe people aren't clear on. So when we talk about the gold rush and people coming to hit it big, did these people have money prior to going to the gold rush? McNair did. I think it's important to know most of the people did not make it rich during the gold (laughs) rush. Absolutely. And the people who did make it rich a number of them who didn't find gold were the people who provided the supplies the picks and the <laughs> yes, and things like that sam brannan uh, sam. was the first millionaire in california oh, and he, that's story. what he did he uh, also founded calistoga well let's see here what's the great story oh the great story is that um brannan was was um up in sacramento when gold was discovered in yeah. 1848 and he, Sam was it was a prosperous. He was a merchant. He could see what was going to happen. He knew that that they they were sworn to secrecy, but it, it's going to leak <laughs> yeah, out, right? Absolutely. So he he had a store at Sutter's Fort, and he filled that store filled beyond bursting with everything anybody would need to 
pan for gold. Because this is an area, this a town is, that people had to pass this, through in order right, to get... Sacramento, yeah, right. Okay. You have to go through it. And then he filled a bottle with the gold, and he went down to San Francisco. And there had been rumors of gold, and people had been dismissing them for months. And he's running down the main streets of San Francisco, <laughs> screaming at the top of his lungs, gold, gold, gold from the American <laughs> River. And they bit. They bit completely. And you know, he's holding up the, the bottle, and there it is, and it's gold. And they, the workers on the buildings drop their tools, and they head it off. People and, on ships. And they, you really think so? So this, oh, yes, this, this guy doing this, guy doing oh, yeah. this, yes, this, this, this is singular, this singular event. Right. Yeah. It really right. happened. Yeah. And, yeah. Yes. And then they get to Sutter's Fort, and guess what's there? Yeah. Sam Brannan's store. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what is also fascinating, though? So here you have... Uh, Many of these guys coming in, Wickersham and Meacham, and they're making big money uh, in the gold fields. And they're not resting on their laurels. They could have gone back to the East Coast and lived quite a life, I would think, with the money that are already made. Instead, they come to an area like Petaluma and do more. And they want to make more. They want to make more. This Tom, is a means think to about, an end. Think about these guys coming over the hills and looking down into this valley. How gorgeous it must have been. Yeah. Gorgeous. Oh yes, Just, yeah, it was absolutely. a weather. It was a big weather issue yeah. from everything I've read of all the, yeah, and the journals in time. The, the sky was dark with wild game. Right, they had the initial entrepreneurial spirit, and yeah. they can't let go of it. That's right. No. That's different than a person who just wins the lotto and decides to go retire yeah. someplace and lay on a beach all day. Yeah, yeah. but there yeah. were a lot of losers there. A lot of losers. Um, and and the, the gold, the California gold rush, was the greatest mass movement of people in the history of the world, up until. The gold rush was over. I want to bring into a play a famous petalumen of the time, Stephen Peyran. Uh-huh. And this plays very much into the gold rush because Peyran originally established himself in San Francisco as a vigilante. <laughs> uh, Stephen Peyran, unlike most of those uh, gold rush people, had, he had a law degree. He was a lawyer. And uh, he got some money in the gold rush, but not a heck of a lot. And then he went to San Francisco to establish his... Uh, legal office and very quickly found out that there was no law. There were stacked juries. Crime was rampant. Uh, A lot of the cops were Irish from Australia. They had been uh, sent to Australia as a penal colony and they came over and became cops in San Francisco. Those were my ancestors. (laughs) They they arrived in Petaluma in 1863. (laughs) And uh, so the law was asunder. And um, the thing that really got it going were the fires. Uh, there was one fire that burned down 400 houses and a but, city but hall. You might mention they this were lighting the Francisco. fire in San Francisco. They lit the fire so everyone would go to put the fire out. And while they were distracted, they would go rob all the houses. Yeah. Remember that San Francisco had these wild people coming down from the mountains who hadn't struck gold. And they, they were desperate. And then also um, the um, British penal colonies, the primary one of which is Australia or was Australia, uh, people were coming over here from there to go to the gold rush. The British would send their criminals over to Australia. Yes. They would do their time. And, well, then... and, and also, I want to say political radicals, too. My family was kicked out because of the 1848 rebellion and sent to Australia from Ireland. So just want yeah. to put, they weren't all criminals. So anyway, that, that, Payran... Fascinating, though. So they would do their time in Australia, and obviously they weren't welcome back in uh, in England. That's right. And so what, they just put them on boats over here and yeah. just like let them loose on the coast or something? They, no, I, mean, I think they, they purposely came here. They okay. did. They they weren't, they, they weren't like sent from Australia. No, they purposely right. came here for the gold. That's it correct. It was a destination. Uh, yeah. yeah, and yeah. to get out of Australia. But yeah. you couldn't call yourself an Aussie because everyone assumed if you came here 
and you were Irish that you were, you were from Irish. a penal yeah. uh, operation in Australia. So you were Irish. You weren't Australian. Yeah, and as soon as uh, the residents of San Francisco found out that uh, most of these Australian Irish were robbing them and let, cutting fires, Peyran got the idea as a lawyer. Got the idea he's going to take the law into his own hands, <laughs> and uh, and he did. He got together with a bunch of uh, merchants, and they formed the vigilance committee. And they they lynched several people. They deported a whole bunch of people to back to Australia. They jailed some. And they also released some. But it went hot and heavy uh, for about a year. And this is in San Francisco? Yeah, okay. just in San Francisco. About a year and a quarter. And then um, the city decided, the city fathers decided, we've had enough of this. And so they cracked down on it. Peyran moved to Petaluma. <laughs> and he became a justice of peace here. Uh, one of my favorite bits of Petaluma trivia is the only seated president to ever come to Petaluma was Rutherford B. Hayes. What year was that? Um, it was while he was president. 1888. Thank you. Thank you. And he came here because his law partner was E.S. Lippitt, L-I-P-P-I-T-T. And Lippitt was a lawyer. He was the local orator. And in those days, that was what you did for entertainment. You went and you listened to people speak. And Lippitt could go on for two hours. And by all accounts in the Argus, he was absolutely fabulous. So... Hayes came to visit his old friend and law partner, E.S. Lippitt. So he and he was accompanied by General Sherman. But um, the story that I had heard that Catherine Reinhardt um, researched and uh, discovered was false was that Hayes Lane was named after Rutherford B. Hayes, which is not true. It had been named previously for a local Presbyterian minister, and the name at some point had been changed from H-A-Y-S, which was the minister's correct spelling, to H-A-Y-E-S. Adlai Stevenson and uh, Ronald Reagan oh. came to Petaluma and spoke oh. in Walnut Park, both of them. Not together, of course. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, Steve, uh, on, the, on the campaign trail. Yeah. Uh, Ronald Reagan filmed his uh, Morning in America in, in Walnut Park here in Petaluma. From the bandstand, I think, was... Yeah, street. part of it was. Yeah. No, it's in Brown Court off of D Street. That They used oh. that as the setting for yeah. Morning in America commercial. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yes. And, that, and that's, a, that's a really iconic commercial. Yes, yes. it yeah. is. We should mention Mark Twain. Okay. Oh, yes. Yeah. Mark, Mark Twain was not only um, an, a successful author, but he was a successful speaker as well. But he began his career as a wildly unsuccessful speaker. He came to Petaluma in 1866, Skip? Yes. And November of 1866, and it was announced in the paper, and the following week there was a small review talking about how poorly Mr. Twain had spoken and how he yeah. really didn't have much of a career as a speaker. And, and he was desperate at the time. He yes. didn't want to speak on stage. He wanted to just write his books, but he was in such uh, desperate financial straits that he allowed his uh, agent to book several places, one of which was Petaluma. Do we know what venue he played? Um, we don't. We think we do. Well, the announcement that I the saw in the paper uh, didn't say where he was playing. Was Just said Mr. Twain will, it, I, I, will speak I think it was, uh, Thursday night at I 8 o'clock. I think it's McCune's Hall, and I, don't, and uh. I think that that's where McCune's Hall was. Sort of well, what we can say above above camera corner, approximately. If we haven't covered it, like what 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 draws you to study this so much? I mean, you have all spent a lot of time poring over, I'm assuming, newspaper clippings and uh, doing all sorts of research. What drives you guys to do that and spend so much time with it? 
you know, so much of Petaluma's, you know, past identity is tied up in the chicken industry and the egg industry that for me, that river town era is just interesting to look at for the basic character of the town. You know, what came before the chickens and how the chickens is its own (laughs) phenomenon. But um, I think a lot of what makes Petaluma distinctive was, as you say, built in that first half century of the yeah. 19th century, the people who founded the city. And yeah. A lot of that still carries through in what it means to be a Petaluma. Started out, you know, a couple guys hanging out on a river hunting and, you know, yeah. turning It was all about the river. Yeah. Imagine what it would be like with Flogdell and Bayless coming here to hunt wild game. Yes. And there were elk and uh, bear yes. in Petaluma. Oh, yes. And uh, the skies, they said the skies were black with wild game. Absolutely, uh, ducks and geese, and uh, and they they shot so much that they had to build a warehouse to keep it cool before they could take it down to San Francisco. They said the Miwoks were almost amphibian because there were so many marshes and and waterways yeah. here that you could go. You know, you spend a half hour a day get your game, you could catch fish. You know, it was like walking off your front porch, and everything was was right there, there to behold. I was given um, the Petaluma history column when I went to work for the Argus Courier because they really needed to find something for me to do. I was totally untrained and untried in journalism, and I started reading back issues, and it was it was a marriage made in heaven. Um, Petaluma is my adopted hometown. I've moved probably fifty times. My parents liked to. It's the only reason. And so when I moved here, I began putting down roots, and I wanted to learn more about this town that I had moved to and now have no intention of leaving. So I read the newspapers, and it got more interesting and more interesting. And the thing that I enjoyed so much and still do is how nothing really changes you have pothole problems today, and you had pothole problems every decade. You just go on back, same problems over and over, the same stories. And it's just, it's very heartwarming and intriguing to it, these little snippets of people that pop up in newspapers. What about you, Tom Gaffey? Well, with me, I. My love of Petaluma history started, I think Katie will agree, somewhat spuriously. I would sit down here working as a kid down at the Phoenix Theater. It was the showcase theater in those days. And Bill Sobranis would come by with his camera slung over his back and tell me stories. Uh, He knew my dad. And if he knew your dad, he knew you. And he (laughs) loved to come and talk. And he was my introduction to it, uh, Bill Sobranis' story. And they were just incredible stories. They were were funnier than not. And... uh, uh, you know, I think Bill would sometimes tell a story like I te- like to tell a story, and I don't think many of the kids are hearing this, so I can truly say I have uh, never ruined a good story with facts, I'll tell you that. <laughs> and, and I do believe Bill is, you know, Bill was a little piece of that. Bill yeah. could take a great story and make it better. And I was a fascinated listener in those days, you know, and that's, and that's what got me going. Um, uh, then uh, my senior year in Petaluma High, uh, I was given Dave Richardson, who was uh, the yearbook, uh, uh, ran the yearbook, uh, put the yearbook together, told me I would have an automatic A. All I had to do, no, it was a B. <laughs> I did this for a B. One semester uh, working on the Petaluma history for the 1973 yearbook. It was the 100-year anniversary of Petaluma High School. 
And so I was introduced to the microfiche and, and all of the old Argus couriers that year. And it was hours and hours. You could just log on to these old uh, newspapers. Oh, oh, my God. And the stories, the stuff you're reading about, people stealing boats and, and uh, people shooting people and people disappearing out in... Uh, you know, out in the country roads, and, and uh, in particular, um, Chileno Valley, uh, many people had disappeared out on that road. Yeah. And the stories were just phenomenal. Also, uh, John's mom, uh, John Sheehy's mom, Marion, was just, she had some great stories, too, that, that uh, turned me on to how cool this city was and how crazy it was and how you could run a, a city, you could build a city and run a city and absolutely do it with very little thought. <laughs> At least that's the way I grew up. And for John, I think, his love of Petaluma history must come because that's his family history. Yeah. Well, I would say, you know, my family came here in 1863 yeah. from Australia, originally from Ireland, sent there as political refugees. Um, but I grew up in a house on Bassett Street my great-grandmother had built. My grandmother grew up there. My father grew up there. And, you know, I grew up hearing all these stories of old-time Petaluma. And my great-uncle, Uncle Will... Casey, uh, was known as the uh, superintendent of the sidewalks here in Petaluma. He wore a three-piece white suit, had a cane, uh, a Stetson hat, and he would just patrol the streets of Petaluma. He was a bootlegger, he was a card shark, he was a womanizer during his day. Uh, Friend of Bill Sobranis. Friend of Bill Sobranis. (laughs) Sounds uh, like a friend of (laughs) What I love is I walked down Bassett Street, down what is now Western Avenue, was English Street in the old days, and I looked down at those iron front buildings down to the waterfront, and I can see the town through his eyes. He was still alive when I was a kid. He would walk me downtown and tell me those stories. And there are days when I am transported back in time to seeing the town through his eyes because so many of these landmarks are still here. Still here. And I just love that feeling. It's yeah. just wonderful to, to feel that history right here today. You're walking in the footsteps of, yes. of these very people we've been talking about uh, tonight. And uh, that, when I was a kid, a teenager, uh, used to fascinate me, thinking I was walking in those same footsteps as the McNears and the Meachams and all of the people that I'd heard these stories of. I was brought here um, by the president of the Bank of Marin who had a partner, a member of the board of directors, Dolph Hill, still a banker in the Hill family, you know, was descendant of, the, of William Hill. He wanted to sell the oldest building in town. And uh, Bill Murray, the president of the bank, had grown up with the current mayor then, um, Helen Putnam, and Helen wanted to develop downtown Petaluma and, and uh, bring it back to historical relevance. And so they just brought me up here. I didn't even know what Petaluma was. And sure enough, they financed in, uh, the, the oldest building in town, and, and I helped rebuild it. That was the Petaluma Mill? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 1975. What, a, what an opportunity. Well, I got hooked. You know, that was, it was built in 1854. It's the oldest standing building in town. Yeah. And Tom Bayless, that we were talking about earlier, built that as a game warehouse. And then in... Six years later, McNear bought it. At one time, Wickersham owned it, and Fairbanks owned it, and Hills owned it, and all these people. I'm just so grateful for having those things happen, and I really didn't have much to do with it, except that they said, here it is, you do it. Wow, so Skip says that he didn't have much to do with it, but I I just want to say I, and I'm sure many people are grateful for 
your yeah. pioneer work. I mean, yeah, this was the beginning of historical renovation in Petaluma, let's be honest. I mean, in yeah, the mid-60s, they were looking to tear down oh, the entire Main Street here. They tore down Mollet. some of the nicest stuff. And uh, I think that what Skip did with the mill beginning in the mid-70s was the turning point, and he was a major leader, and you've done so many other historical right. renovations as well. So You're very kind. Thank you. very yeah. grateful that you came to town yeah. and were brought to town. This, this was good. I appreciate everybody coming. Tom, anything to say? Oh, this what? is, you know, for me, it's always fun. This was, uh, thank you so much, you guys, for coming for thank this. Thank you this for was, having us. Oh, pleasure. I had yes. lots of fun. Thanks. Very yeah. much fun. Great time. Well, thank you, guys. Thank you, Jim. Thank, thank you, Tom.